What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am joined, as always, by my buddy and co-host in the great state of Ohio, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, happy Sunday, man. What's going on? Well, I just watched my, um, the, I think the NFL team that I, the only one that I care about and also the one that I hate the most, the Browns, beat the Ravens in overtime in probably one of the worst football games I've ever watched. Whenever the Browns win, it's like a holiday, <laughs> essentially. So I'm, I'm still kind of celebrating that. And really a, a good week for just bad to watch football games. Yeah, on the subject of teams that we love the most but also hate the most, we are here to talk about Ohio State's 49-26 to win over Indiana. Before we do that, make sure to subscribe to the show, go on to Apple Podcasts, search Hang Out in the Holy Land, find this episode, all the old episodes there, and go to soundcloud.com slash Land and follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod to keep up with everything going on for the show. A little bit of a disclaimer before we really dive into this one. Patrick and I are as fans that that do this podcast, we have a bit more of a different slant to how we approach talking about Ohio State, how we preview, how we recap stuff. But at the end of the day, we're fans. And so whether we're positive or negative, we aren't insiders to the program. Don't take what we say as us saying we know more than anybody in whatever it may be. We're just fans. We're giving you our perspective and there's sometimes where we tend to skew negative there's going to be a lot of good things that we talk about for this game there's also going to be a lot of negative things for this game so we've had a couple people over the last few weeks talk about how we can be a little more on the pessimistic side and if that's not what you like I'll be straight up with you when we're starting this one This podcast probably isn't going to be for you. (laughs) This episode will not be for you. So let's let's get right into the shits here and talk about Ohio State's 49 to 26 win over Indiana. And I want to go on a little bit of not a tirade because I did. I can't feel that way about anything college football related, but just a little bit of a rant about what I think about Ohio State right now and where they're at. First of all, this is a really good win. It's a win over a 4-1 Indiana team that always plays Ohio State tough. I did not predict it. I thought Ohio State would roll in this one, but I'm certainly not surprised it was the game it was, given the nature and the history, the recent history of this matchup. The biggest thing to me that stands out not only about this game, but where just Ohio State is at in general right now, is they have an identity crisis on the coaching side of what they want to be and what they are. And I'll break it down like this, starting offensively. Under Urban Meyer, it's obvious, and we all know that Ohio State has always been a ground-and-pound team. We've seen it with the way that they've used their quarterbacks, Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, and we've seen it with the great running backs Ohio State has pushed out. But not only that, with the offensive line as well. It's always been physical. It's always been a run run game based team. I think Urban Meyer has always said that, that everything starts with the run game and that it's an offensive line driven program. Those are his words. This year, it's clear that Ohio State is not that, whether it's the offensive line, 
whether it's the difference in quarterback with some of the amazing things Dwayne Haskins can do, and we're going to talk about that through this whole podcast, and the fact that Ohio State right now, their best unit seems to be the wide receiver position, which is crazy to think about over the last couple of seasons, but those guys are awesome. So we have that. There's a difference between what they want to do and what they are, and it shows on the field. And despite scoring 49 points, I think we saw a little bit in that game some of the things Ohio State wants to do and what their coaches want them to do not lining up with the personnel of this team. And for lack of a better phrase, and something that we've constantly come back to over the last three and a half years is that this team is winning in spite of their coaching. Yeah. That's just the offense. Defensively, I think it's a little bit of the same thing. Ohio State, especially in the secondary, wants to play press man and really jam teams up and force teams to beat them over the top. And we've seen that work to great success the past couple of years. You look into the NFL right now, there's a lot of guys that are former Ohio State players who are making massive plays in the NFL. You look at the Browns right now. Denzel Ward had a phenomenal game. He's probably going to win AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, and that's going to be Ohio State's third straight year with somebody winning that. You look at this secondary this year. At least right now, the guys they have do not match up with what they want to do. And we saw it to start the season against a terrible Oregon State team. We saw it a little bit against Rutgers and we saw it against TCU we damn sure saw it against Penn State and we saw it against an Indiana offense that came into the game as one of the worst offenses in the country at generating big plays and I know this is something you tweeted about Indiana generated 11 total chunk plays eight passing plays three running plays we'll get into this when we talk about the secondary The players are what they are, and at this point, I have a hard time blaming those guys because we know what their deficiencies are. We know what their strengths are. We know what their weaknesses are. The guys coaching them seem to not understand that and keep trying to fit this round peg into a square hole, and it's not working. I want to get your thoughts on that and just what you think overall about my take here of Ohio State's coaching and really kind of holding this team back right now because for lack of a better term I just think that 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 is what they are doing at the moment I think that the the thing that you you kind of touched on there at the end about how the the players really aren't really super at fault here obviously they're the ones on the field making the plays and missing tackles taking bad angles but I think that something that we're kind of seeing a lot this season and something that we have seen a lot from Ohio State really since, what, 2014, the championship season, is that the coaching staff, it was more so on offense in years past. It it wasn't really a huge defensive issue because the defense was super, super talented this year, not as much so. But the coaching staff is, is putting players, I think especially this season defensively, in positions that they really are not going to be able to succeed in. I think, you know, we talked about this last week with Tough Borland being assigned to spy Trace McSorley. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that That's not fair at all to, to Tough Borland. I mean, we, we've talked plenty about how he's a, he's a pretty limited player, and I, I certainly, I don't think that 
there's a ton of places to put him uh, against a team with a really good rushing quarterback like Penn State. But he does have value. I, I think he's pretty good against a, a powerful running team. I think he'll be pretty good against a team like Michigan. Um, I, I do think that there's value there. I think he's a smart player. He's just not a great athlete. A guy like Damon Arnett, who we know is, I think we know he's capable. He's certainly flashed potential, but it's pretty obvious that he's not an outside cornerback. He's not big enough. He's not, you know, he's not like Denzel Ward or Marshawn Lattimore able to make up for a size disadvantage with some freaky athleticism. He's just, he's not that guy. He's not a lockdown cornerback. Ohio State keeps trying to fit him into being their lockdown cornerback instead of putting him where he should be, which is in the slot. He's very, very obviously a slot cornerback that they're trying to make a, you know, a lockdown number one corner. And when you have guys like Sean Wade, like Jeffrey Okuda, even like Kendall Sheffield, who has not been particularly good this season, there's really no reason for Damon Arnett to be so out of position because he's very obviously out of position. It's the same thing with Isaiah Pryor. You know, you, you, you have him back at that kind of roaming safety position that Malik Hooker was playing. And Isaiah Pryor is the same kind of safety that Jordan Fuller is. You can't have both those guys on the field at the same time. They're both tackle first, run support safeties. You, you need a coverage safety. Isaiah Pryor isn't that. Jocelyn Wint isn't that. It seems like Sean Wade could be. You know, you, you went out and you got Josh Proctor, five-star incoming freshman. You got Tyreek Johnson, five-star incoming freshman. Those are coverage safeties. I, I just, those guys would make more sense in this defense. And, you know, it's it's all over the place. There was there were times where Pete Werner, I think several times in the game, was asked to cover receivers one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. Malik Harrison. Malik too. Harrison, too. And that's not fair to them. You know, they're like, we've ragged on the linebackers a bunch here for good reason, but they're really not being put in a place where I think they can succeed. Uh, and that's a huge cause of the the big plays that Ohio State is giving up and the the lapses that these guys seem to have in judgment is that they're playing positions that they don't know how to play. And that ultimately comes down to a scheme issue, and it comes down to the fact that Greg Schiano is still running the super aggressive man-on-an-island coverage that he was running with a defensive backfield filled with future with future NFL first-round picks. He's still putting guys on an island that are not capable of that. I think Kendall Sheffield would be a very good zone coverage cornerback. I think Damon Arnett would be a very good nickel cornerback. I think Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, all those guys would be just fine if you just played a normal defense, you know, and if you if you just let them play zone sometimes. There's really, you know, when you don't have elite cornerbacks, there's no reason to try and force guys who obviously can't do it over and over to try and cover receivers that they can't keep up with. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect cornerback, especially in college. These guys are going to get burnt, but they're not capable of doing it, and Ohio State still hasn't adjusted. And it's an issue on offense, too, when you see guys like Dwayne Haskins running seven times. It's just, it, just a wild decision to make or Benjamin Victor being on the bench for the majority of his career to this point, or Paris Campbell being asked to be a, a deep threat at different times during his career. It's just mismanaging talent. You know, Ohio State has more talent than every single team in the country that is in Alabama, and they still do this crap. Other teams don't do this. Alabama doesn't make their players do stuff like this. They adjust. 
they adapt to the talent and it's you know it, it feels silly to complain about a team that is now six and oh almost certainly playoff bound as long as they don't screw up i mean michigan state doesn't even look any good so it looks like michigan's really the last big hurdle on this schedule before the conference championship game and it feels silly to complain about, but Ohio State's going to lose in the playoff if they keep doing this crap. This is the same stuff it was in 2016. You know, I think people who were informed in 2016 kind of knew that Ohio State was going to get crushed by whoever they played because they weren't ready. They're not ready this year. They're not being put in a position where I think they can beat great teams, and they're going to get crushed if they have to play Alabama, if they have to play Clemson, if they have to play Georgia, even like a team like Notre Dame. It, it's just... It's they're putting a ceiling on a team that really doesn't need one, and it's just baffling. I I don't understand it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that neither of us are saying, "Hey, fire Urban Meyer, fire Greg Schiano, get rid of everybody," but more so into looking back at the history and, like you said, 2016 and even last year of like, man, these are problems. It's happening week by week, and just saying, "Hey, we're we're still winning games. Why are you complaining?" when you match up with another good team and you're not able to adjust because you're just stuck with playing the way you are, that's how stuff like the Oklahoma game happens. That's how the Iowa game happens. They were probably always going to lose that Clemson game. Should they have lost it 31 to nothing with the talent that they have? Absolutely not. And I, I think it is fair to criticize because like you said, this is a team that, recruits better and has more talent than literally anybody else in the country and to be quite honest when you look at it numbers wise they're right up there with alabama i mean they're talent wise they're neck and neck with alabama there's not a big difference and and the fact that they don't adjust and they just are kind of stuck in their ways it's fine because you're just you can out talent people and having talent is the most important thing in college football but when the margins get small sometimes it's going to go your way like we saw last week against penn state other times, like Oklahoma and Iowa, when everything late in the game isn't going your way, that's how you end up with those type of performances. And a lot of yesterday's game was like that. And they won because they just had more talent. And the players ultimately overcame that. Because when you even look outside of just the actual coaching and the playing on the field, when there were seven minutes left, or excuse me, six minutes left in the first quarter, Ohio State was out of timeouts. They had no timeouts, and ultimately that came back late in the second when they got the ball back. They weren't able to do anything on that drive. They ran the ball once for nine yards, and there was, I think, 28 seconds left. Yeah. And they just decided, screw it, we're just going to go to half because they had no timeouts left. Yeah, Ohio State got the ball on their own 34 with uh, 40 seconds left in the half, and they just had to take it into halftime because they didn't have any timeouts. And I think two of those timeouts were on defense. Maybe all three of those timeouts were were on defense. At least two of them were. And just from the start, it just seemed like, hey, it's going to be one of those games. And, And that's another problem. Whenever Ohio State does not, immediately start off fast you can kind of you can just tell immediately like oh it's going to be one of those games like the offense is going to struggle because they're deciding that they want to run rpo stuff and run Dwayne haskins to keep defenses honest even though he's going to overcome that and almost break the school record for throwing yards in a single game and i, I just think 
it, it's it's clear as day that they they can get through the next three or four weeks of the schedule without taking a loss. We'll see what happens against Michigan State. I think in that environment, they'll probably lose with the way they're playing right now, even with Michigan State looking like garbage. But playing against Michigan, against that defensive line, with the way that, that they've looked and how Michigan's offense has been decent enough, you play like that, you're going to lose. And it, it's just it's upsetting to see them kind of just beat their head against the wall every single week and the coaches say we're gonna fix it uh it's players out of position it's this that and the third but when you this isn't a young team especially in that secondary amongst the linebackers maybe they're inexperienced but these are guys that have been around the program for two or three years we've seen Kendall Sheffield and when he wasn't here he was at Alabama Damon Arnett's been in the program even the younger guys at safety, they have been in the program, and for them to just look like they are in their fourth game ever as true freshmen, it's not on them. That is on coaching, and we're just going to keep hammering that point home. We'll see how it plays out over the rest of the year, but it was really ugly to watch yesterday, and the 49-26 to score doesn't do justice. I don't even think how close this game was is is the right way to put it but just how ugly it was and how the players ultimately overcame their coaches mistakes yeah and we keep having to do this every year you know it, it keeps being that ohio state's talent is able to overcome bad play calling bad scheming bad game planning i mean it's just urban meyer gets paid a lot of money to do this he, he gets paid seven million dollars to do this and this is the same thing we were talking about a couple weeks ago with, you know, he gets paid that money to hire good coaches, to have his team prepared and to recruit. He's the, I mean, he's doing like one third of that right now. The, the team was not super prepared for this game. And I, I, I understand that they were tired after the Penn State game, understandably so. And that's important to yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, too. they're college kids. You, you really can't expect them to not be sore and tired after what was a super emotional, difficult game. And that's kind of what happened last year against Iowa too. But you need to game plan around that. You know, you you need to know that as a coach, you need to know what Indiana does and take advantage of that. And it doesn't feel like Ohio State has really done that in years. I mean, when was the last time that Ohio State came into a game against an opponent and you felt like they really took advantage of what that opponent doesn't do well? I don't remember a time that they did that since like the playoff run in 2014, you know, taking advantage of what Alabama doesn't do well, taking advantage of what Oregon doesn't do well, taking advantage of what maybe Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma. Yeah. What was that? 2016. Yeah. 2016 Oklahoma game. Yeah. I, I, I could see that one, but that's, I mean, since then it's pretty much just been bludgeoning teams with talent and hoping that the coaching staff gets out of the way. And I, I tweeted this yesterday about how Urban Meyer, I mean, Ohio State's paying $7 million to babysit this guy so that he doesn't call plays because he's so bad at it. And that's just like, I, I'm certainly not calling for Urban Meyer's job or anything. That's not realistic or necessary at this point. But like, he's got to be better than that. You you cannot be babysitting your head coach. You You cannot be expecting college kids to win in spite of the adults in the room who are paid to coach football it's just it's not fair to them you know it, it's not fair to what is an extremely talented team 
And we saw that with the receivers for years. I, I feel bad now in, in retrospect about, you know, trashing the receivers. Ragging on the past. wide receivers. Yeah, because it wasn't their fault. It was they yeah. didn't have a f- coach. They they weren't coached at all. And that was, I mean, looking back, it was obvious. And I, I think that we kind of glossed over that, that poor play calling, the lack of a receivers coach at all. I, I don't even know how often Zach Smith was f- there because it doesn't seem like it was very often. And just a, a complete refusal to adapt to the talent that you have on the roster. I, I really don't think it was the receiver's fault because we see that they're talented. We we see that these guys, when they have a coach who actually cares and, and shows up and teaches them how to play receiver like Brian Hartline seemingly has, uh, which has been a, a pretty pleasant surprise speaking on the bright side of things is that Brian Hartline has done a damn good job yeah. so far. Agreed. You see that these guys are more than willing to buy in. They're more than willing to block. They're, you know, they're they're helping each other. They're they're excited when the others score touchdowns. Benjamin Victor's out there blocking. Benjamin Victor's out there making big plays. Terry McLaurin's catching touchdown passes. Paris Campbell's putting it all together and becoming that huge play threat that we always wanted him to be. And it's just like these guys were they always had this talent. It's not like Ohio State's going out and landing, you know, two and three star guys bringing them in and developing them. They're holding them back consistently. I mean, there's no way that Isaiah Pryor, a five-star safety, isn't talented. There's no way that Kendall Sheffield isn't talented. It it's just it I it, it's unfair. It's not fair to them. And that's not what a coaching staff this expensive should be doing because Ohio State pays a lot of money for these guys to do this. They pay a lot of money for Greg Schiano, Ryan Day, Urban Meyer, all these guys to coach this team, and it doesn't seem like they're doing it. It, it seems like these guys are just going out and winning because they're more talented. It, it, feels, it feels a lot like how Kentucky basketball feels at times where it's like, is John Calipari even coaching this team? They're just kind of winning because they're talented, but it's, there's no excuse for not being able to out scheme opponents when you have this much money to spend on coaches. You know, there are, there are brilliant coaches out there. Penn state spent the last two years with Joe Moorhead out scheming everyone that they played because they hired a good offensive coordinator. You know, there are, there are teams that can more than make up for a lack of talent with good coordinators and Ohio state is, is holding their talent back and it sucks. It sucks to see because I think that these players deserve much better than that. And it seems as much as anything that it's just stubbornness. Yeah. It's an inability to change. The biggest thing that, that stood out to me on that. And I mentioned the offensive line and the way that they're being used in the run game is being used. And, and I'll say before that, I think that the offensive line is going to improve. Yesterday was not their best game by by any stretch, but I, I still think that that's a group that is going to be much better by the end of the season than they were at the start of the year or even right now. That being said, nothing I think says better than where they are at right now then that sequence with eight minutes left in the third quarter, and I, I think it was still, it was 28 to 20, or Ohio State was up. They were up a possession, and they had third and one on Indiana's side of the field, and they handed it off to J.K. Dobbins, who just had absolutely no room to work with. Like, he pretty much did him and Mike Weber all day. Nothing to work with. Got stopped. It wasn't even a question of whether whether they were going to go for it on fourth and one or not. 
And same thing happened. Ran it up the middle, got stopped. And it's so painfully obvious or clear when it's Urban Meyer calling the shots versus when it's Ryan Day just getting into the flow of things and letting the offense do their things. Because there are still times where Dwayne Haskins, we saw more than I think ever be put in a position where he was running the ball and not on scrambles. And we saw him do that a few times, but like he, they were design keepers for him and he just does not have that in him. I saw somebody was like Dwayne Haskins sliding. Looks like he just turns his legs off in hopes for the best. He almost got hurt because of it. Yeah. And that's, that's not a, that's not a knock on him, but that's just, he's not built for that type of way that they want to play offense. And for some reason, they just continue to waste plays that way. And even when he doesn't run the ball, they waste plays trying to fool defenses like, oh, you better watch out. One time Dwayne's going to keep and it's going to gash you. But it's just like, hey, (laughs) hey, how about you give it to your running back that set the Big Ten record or the Ohio State record for yards as a freshman? Just give the ball to him. Don't even – you don't need to do the RPO stuff. Just give the ball to him up the middle. Let, Let him make some plays. Let Mike Weber, the dude that's that's been around a bit of bowling ball for you and made some big time plays. How, how about just giving the ball to him, letting him do his thing? It's just you, you're not seeing that. And all of the times that they continue to try to run the ball to a seven, eight man box at the start of the game could totally be alleviated by just letting their quarterback, who I think it's only you know maybe there's there's one guy and he plays at Alabama that's in his league right now. Just let him throw the ball. Yeah. Let him sling it around. You want to open up defenses? Let him do that. You saw those touchdowns of Johnny Dixon and Benjamin Victor. Not a lot of guys can do that. And he put both of those balls 40 yards plus on the money. If that's if you want to open up defenses and, and have some improvement in the run game, I, I think a little bit less of the RPO, hey, uh, eventually it'll work, our guys will get it, and more of, hey, the defense has to respect that this guy can throw the ball on a dime 45 yards down the field or 20 yards down the field. They can't put nine guys in the box. I think everything starts with number seven, and he was tremendous yesterday, and he overcame a lot of that coaching to have, quite honestly, one of the greatest single game performances in Ohio State history. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne Haskins is, I, I think, the prime example of winning despite uh, the coaching staff. I, I think my last real thing about this, and then we'll we'll recap the game a little bit, unless you have um, you have more to do. I, I think is that um, I, I've gotten some people, and I'm sure that there will be some people mad about this in in my mentions about how Ohio State won by 23, and it, it's silly to to complain, and that we're just armchair quarterbacks, and the coaching staff knows what they're doing, whatever, whatever. Um, I had one this morning that was particularly funny, but. Um, I think the thing about that, and I understand where that comes from, it's, you know, people care a lot about this team, and Urban Meyer won a championship for Ohio State, and I think there's a natural instinct to defend perceived attacks on him or or slights of his coaching ability. And I think the thing for for people who are kind of unwilling to, to criticize the staff, the team, the way that the team is playing. The the thing about that is that like don't complain when they lose to Alabama cuz that's what happens when you just accept the the kind of the the mediocrity. And that's not to say that Ohio State is is a mediocre team. They're a very very good team, 
but the mediocrity in coaching, the the complacency in coaching, the willingness to just accept what was a super, super ugly win. I mean, this was, what, 35-26 going into the fourth quarter yeah. against a team that is nowhere near Ohio State in talent level. There's really no reason that this game should have been close. And they do this every year against Indiana. And every single year, there's no reason it should be this close. And it's just, if you want to, you know, if you want to just accept that, that low quality coaching, accept that Ohio State's going to win 11 or 12 games on talent and then lose to a better coached team that probably isn't more talented, then fine. I, I don't care. I mean, if Ohio State loses, Ohio State loses. It's, it's not a huge, it's not a huge deal to me. If Ohio State gets to the playoff and they lose to Alabama, then like, yeah, that's pretty obvious that that was what was going to happen. But they they can they can beat Alabama. They can hang with Alabama. Yeah. I, I think that if they can fix their coaching, if they can put guys in better situations, this is a team that could win a national championship. But if you're just willing to accept that this is what Ohio State has to be, they have to be an undercoached, extremely talented team, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get losses to Clemson and Oklahoma and elite teams that are coached well. That's That's what's going to happen. And I, I mean, just, I, I don't know. I doubt that we have a lot of people like that that listen to this podcast. I like to think that our listeners are generally pretty, pretty on the money. The ones that I have interacted with are super nice generally um, and know what they're talking about. But like, that's what just letting Urban Meyer get away with this stuff is doing. That's what it's going to do is you lose to a good team. You lose to a very good team. We almost saw it against Penn State. We'll probably see it against Michigan State or Michigan. Hell, we may see it against Purdue. They they certainly know how to take advantage of a bad defense. And that's, I mean, that's what you get when you just accept that stuff. And if I think if fans are fine with that, then they're fine with that. But I know after the Iowa loss, after the Oklahoma loss, after the Clemson loss, they certainly weren't fine with it. People were mad as hell when that happened. And I think we know right now that that'll happen again if they don't fix it. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get it twisted. I was, you know, on here, I think it was last week or the week before, and I was like, I'm not going to do what I did in 2015 and not enjoy wins and just be down about Ohio State winning. And this is not that. Like, I am super happy Ohio State yeah, won. Yeah, they're 6-0. and It's awesome. Yeah, they're 6-0, and and there's a lot of really fun things that happened in this game that we're going to get to in a second but to your point to just gloss over everything and not talk about it like some people are there, there is that sentiment around this fan base and the way quite honestly that they are covered and you know we'll we'll give it up straight we'll keep it a buck with everybody patrick and i are just fans we don't depend on any kind of um any kind of inclusion by the coaching staff <laughs> yeah we don't we don't get access for ohio state we I, i'm not trying to be on Urban Meyer and Jerry's email list of them saying, hey, Colton and Patrick did a great job. They defended us, yada, yada, yada. And there are people that get paid for Ohio State access and like, hey, do do you. Yeah, I get it. It's a job. We're, we're, we're fans. And when some negative shit happens or they don't look good, uh, we're going to talk about it and we're not going to gloss it over. But I, I think that there can be a balance there. And this is definitely a game where I think – that stuff has to be talked about because to wrap it up here, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And to your point, the, the thing that's so frustrating is that these are eminently fixable 
issues. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they fix them by next week. I don't think that these are issues that it's like, oh man, we're gonna we're we're gonna need to power through the rest of the season and get to the off season and figure out what's wrong. Like this is stuff that they can watch film and just be like, yeah. wow, guys, we've we've been putting Malik Harrison in coverage versus wide receivers. That's probably <laughs> not a good idea to have him twenty five yards down against not even a super talented team. You know, there I saw some people talking about how good the defense was in the second half. And to their point, they were much better than they were in the first half. But you go back and watch that second half, and there's a couple of big plays that Indiana left on the field that teams with even marginally better talent are going to make and they're going to gash Ohio State with on both sides of the ball. So it's important to keep that in perspective, too. And we're always going to give the real here on the podcast, whether you like it or not. And I feel like that was a good way to start the show. And I think probably cathartic for both of us. And we had to get that out there when it comes into uh, talking about this game, but let's, let's get to the good stuff and talk about some, some stuff that was positive and really the best place to start is with Dwayne Haskins. And we touched on it a little bit, but he was 33 of 30 of 44, for 455 yards was three short of Art Schleister's uh, single-game yardage record, which if they really wanted to get Savage, they they could have broken it. It looked like they were trying to on that last drive, but through six touchdowns, through a couple of picks, both of which I, I don't think were necessarily his fault when he was getting hit, but averaged 10.3 yards per attempt. And the, the thing that I really like in this game and overall about what they're doing with Dwayne Haskins is that when they're in a groove, there's a great mix of concepts. We saw Paris Campbell swing out from the flat and be uncovered. That was a great drawn up play to get a dude that can burn almost everybody in the country with his speed away. And he did that with a super long touchdown. We saw a play to JK Dobbins that probably should have ended the same way later on in the game, but it was just thrown a little bit high. That could have been a touchdown as well. Those are great play designs. So you have those type of concepts mixed with the deeper balls that we saw to Johnny Dixon, which was a beautiful play and a beautiful execution throw and catch by both of those guys. Great route by Dixon and Benjamin Victor. Awesome throw. One of the more phenomenal catches we've seen in a long time by Benjamin Victor on that play ball thrown on the money where only he could get it. And he's a guy two weeks back to back. You've seen the type of plays he's made. We've, we've alluded to it. Like it, it is time for Benjamin Victor to be a large part of this offense because going back to the running game, you want that deep threat. Everybody talked about it being the end of the world in 2015 when Devin Smith wasn't on the team. Oh, that's why, that's why the passing game is what it is. That's why things aren't opened up. Who's the next guy? We don't have a receiver as great as Michael Thomas is. Nobody can get downfield. Here he is. We've seen it the last two weeks. It's it's Benjamin Victor. We saw it against Michigan State last year. He is the guy. He can be that type of player for this offense, and it it not only helps Dwayne Haskins in the passing game and gives them more of an explosive element, but it makes defenses say, oh, shit, we have to account for an extra guy back there because there's somebody – number nine there that can beat us 40 yards downfield and that helps the whole offense yeah Freeman Victor he's very obviously talented I um I I said yesterday or I guess this morning is when it went up uh we're recording this on Sunday about in my uh my stock market report that um 
I really don't think that there's a receiver in that that five man group that I want Ben Victor to replace. I think that they all deserve to have their jobs. I think KJ Hill, yeah. Terry McLaurin, Austin Mack, Johnny Dixon, all Paris Campbell, they've all been very good this season. I just think that if you can have a five man rotation, just make it a six man rotation. I mean, what's the <laughs> what's the issue with being able to sub Austin Mack out and Benjamin Victor in? You know, get get those guys pretty equal snaps. Get get those guys on the field more, get, you know, get Benjamin Victor more touches. He's very obviously just as talented, if not more so than every other one of those guys. And it's not like he's, you know, a slot receiver, which they already have several of. It's not like he's a a speedy kind of deep threat like Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon. He's the, you know, he's the only real true player on this team that can go up and high point a pass that can that can just scorch a cornerback on a deep route. He's he's not super quick. He's not even I mean, he's not a very good route runner because he doesn't really need to be, but he can run in a straight line really fast. He can jump up and he can catch the ball. Ohio State doesn't have one of those. They should play him more. I I just you know, he he's so much fun to watch. It was a really really nice catch in the end zone for the the what was essentially the game ceiling touchdown. I think it was already pretty much over at that point, but um, he looked great. I thought Terry McLaurin looked really good. I was really happy to see him rewarded Definitely. for his uh, his efforts last week with two touchdowns. This week, Paris Campbell still very very fast. I thought Johnny Dixon looked really good. He had 73 yards on five catches. Austin Mack, kind of a quiet day, but still had five catches, 49 yards. K.J. Hill, four four catches, 46 yards. I think that those six guys are the ones who need to be seeing the most playing time, and they, they really generally are, but there's really no reason to be even playing a tight end <laughs> with this offense because, yeah. I mean, I like Rashad Berry. I'm sure he's a good guy. I like Luke Farrell. Fer- Fer- I'm sure he's a good guy. I don't really know what the use of them on an offense like this is. I don't think Dwayne Haskins really needs them. And just going four wide receivers feels like the, the best option here. Running game-wise, we, we kind of touched on how the line isn't super good. I thought Mike Weber had a pretty good day, 70 yards on 13 carries. Um, he had a nice 21-yard run. That's actually one of the longer runs of the season. <laughs> For Ohio State, um, J.K. Dobbins not not great, not terrible. Twenty six carries, eighty two yards, and a touchdown. I thought he looked fine. Um, he had some some issues getting out of the backfield with some some blown blocks, but in he had ge- to grind it out, yeah, man. Yeah, in general, he he looked like J.K. Dobbins does. He made some guys miss. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins was the star of the offense. He's he's very very good. He he confirmed once again that he's very very good, and it was nice to see him bounce back after kind of a rough week throwing down the field. And I think that the Penn State environment mixed with what their defense was doing was a very unique circumstance that he probably won't have to deal with again. I was glad to see him okay after taking a pretty big hit late in the game. It looked like he was kind of holding on to his his knee and he rolled up on it a little bit. But it seems like he's good to go, and that's um, that's certainly good news. But yeah, I, I think that the offense, some more inspired play calling would be certainly helpful, but um, the offense is still very good. I like that all the receivers have different roles and skill set. Even when guys like Hill and Mack are having a massive day, uh, you can see the rapport between Austin Mack and Haskins just in that in that short game of, hey, we need to get seven yards on first down or a second and eight. 
and KJ Hill. I'm scanning through my progressions. Who can I hit? Boom, KJ. He always just seems to be open over the middle, and there's nobody there, and he always knows how to cut up field and where to go with the football after he catches it. And so it's it's just very, very nice to see the receivers continue to grow and get better each week. And it's also important to note that this was a good Indiana defense coming in. They didn't put up 600 yards and six and a half plus yards per play against just some scrub unit. Indiana's defense is pretty good. Tom Allen is a good defensive mind. So this was a good, good effort against a a pretty good defense. And like we've, like we said, an odd, odd stretches throughout the game of the offense, looking conservative and some odd play calling, but they're able to overcome that and have a really good day. Dwayne Haskins, 25 touchdown passes now, leads the country Jesus. and 10 away from JT Barrett's. Is it a is it a Big Ten record, a school record, uh, think, or both? I, it's one of them. I think it's I think a, it's, a, it's definitely a school yeah, record. I think it's definitely sure. a school record. Um I'll have to I'll have to look that up. If he's healthy, he's blowing that thing away, and it might be within like the next two games with the way he's throwing the ball. So great stuff from Dwayne Haskins. On the defensive side of the ball, obviously the big story what we talked about is many more big plays. Uh, Isaiah Pryor was out for the first half. I thought he was hit or miss in the second half, made the nice pass breakup in the end zone. I don't think there's a lot to go off of on the secondary with what we saw. The linebackers, given some of the limitations, were fine. I, I think that I think Tough Borland was pretty good yesterday. He forced another fumble. Uh, he seemed like he was... He's fully healed, or at least as, as healed as he can be from that Achilles injury. So he was around the ball. I still think that I think Pete Werner's kind of hit that little bit of a wall in his first real time playing, and it looks like there are times where he's just kind of lost. But I didn't think the linebackers were, you know, awful or anything. But they have still had their moments. And then uh, defensive line was something that Urban Meyer talked about in the post game that they weren't able to get a pass rush very often. And we saw Jonathan Cooper go out of the game along with Malik Harrison to throw that in there. But I didn't think that they were great. Chase Young had a couple of really nice plays. I think a questionable penalty, but he was able to get to the quarterback a few times, had a nice read on a, uh, on a zone read that stopped Indiana, but there wasn't a ton outside of him and Draymond Jones. I can speak for myself in saying I probably jumped the gun a little bit when I was saying that this defensive line was better than last year's, and that's even without Nick Bosa or even with Bosa being in there. They just they kind of just don't seem to have it as of right now, at least on that elite level. But with the talent they have, maybe they'll. I think that they can still get there. Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that we we may have <laughs> overestimated Jonathan Cooper's ability a little bit because even with bit, yeah. even with the injury, this is I believe the second straight week in which he did not record a tackle. Which is not great for a defensive lineman. Chase Young had a pretty good game. I, I do think that this defense will be better when Nick Bosa's back. It certainly won't fix the the many issues that they have, but it'll it'll help with with getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, Indiana's offensive line seems to be pretty good, specifically in in pass blocking. Peyton Ramsey had a decent amount of time. They didn't really run the ball much, um, but yeah, I thought Draymond Jones was pretty good. I was actually pleasantly surprised by Pete Werner um he certainly didn't have a great game but he did have a sack and he had three pass breakups which was 
pretty impressive from a linebacker. He, he was the best ball player of that back seven, yeah. like in terms of yeah. just like being able to make <laughs> plays on the ball when they were in the air, which is like bad. Good it's, that it's T. Good Werner is bad. doing yeah. that, but also very disconcerting <laughs> that he's the best one. Yeah, he had um, he had a really nice play on a third down. I think he was um, I think he was covering a tight end and he knocked the ball out. It was a it was a good coverage play. I don't I don't know why they wanted to have him in coverage on what I'm pretty sure was a receiver <laughs> several times. But he he did a he did a good enough job. He's certainly not I don't think an elite player by any means, but I thought he played pretty well. the The secondary was super disappointing in this game. Uh, we we certainly talked about it in our our rant session at the beginning of the episode. But Damon Arnett had a really bad game. Kendall Sheffield had a really bad game. I think Jeffrey Okuda got burned once, if I remember right. Um, yeah. I don't remember a ton from Sean Wade, which isn't super encouraging. I, I think he was pretty much just kind of there. Um, they did play him at safety a little bit at the end of the first half before Isaiah Pryor was back, and he, he was fine. I don't think he made any plays, but they he was only on there for like one or two plays. I was actually, speaking of guys I was pleasantly surprised by he didn't have a great game but I thought I pre- Isaiah Pryor was pretty good when he came back in the second half he he wasn't anywhere near like Malik Hooker level good or even like Damon Webb level good but I do think that having him in the backfield helped the defense a little bit in the second half and he he made some good tackles like like I said he's really not meant to be that free safety kind of guy that's just not the player that he is but I think as a as a run support safety, he's he's pretty good at making plays in the backfield. Not still not good at angles, but he's he's a pretty good tackler, and I, I think that he was a pleasant surprise. Um, I have an answer on the Big Ten single season passing touchdowns record leader too. JT Barrett is second in the Big Ten all time for single season with 35. Drew Brees is first with 39. Ah. Um, so Haskins is 14 away from tying, 15 from beating. Uh, six games into the season, he is 15th on the all-time list. <laughs> so that's that's pretty good. That's better than Braxton Miller in 2013, who is uh, 19th on the list with 24. So that's um, that's certainly that's certainly something that um, is pretty impressive. Do you have anything else on the the defense before we talk about Drew Chrisman's no good, very bad punt? <laughs> yeah, he our our boy. But that's all right. You're you're gonna have bad days. Yeah. And, and Drew Chrisman definitely had one. The only other thing I have is you, you're you're right about Pryor. I think that especially for safeties, like the plays where you know some like he got called for a holding, and there was a play in the second half where he got beat and the ball went through the either the tight end or the wide receiver's hands. Those stand out, but I, I do think the defense felt a little more comfortable overall with him back there. And certainly more comfortable than Jocelyn Went. Like he is, I think Jocelyn Went is the poster boy of the coaches keep throwing him out there, and it's like the the same things keep happening. It's so cool. <laughs> when 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 they're talking about like we need guys to get their asses in position, or like I think after halftime the interview was like yeah, Urban Meyer like chewed their guys out and was like stay in position. Like this guy has just done that every single time he's been in, whether it was Oregon state TCU last week against Penn state. And now this week, and it's like something, there's a disconnect there of like, you keep running him out there, but the same thing keeps happening. So like, what, what is the disconnect there? And it, it just seems like, Hey, he's not ready for it. Like, why do you keep doing it? And it's the same problem over and over again. So 
I, I don't even know if we should talk about it anymore because what are we going to say? Like, we'll see if Jocelyn Wint takes a bad angle this week <laughs> or, like, they practice angles in, in practice. Like, who knows? But it did feel like with Pryor they looked a lot more comfortable and the defense was better in the second half. And special teams for the most part, I thought, other than that really super bad punt, yeah. which, like, you're going to have – we saw Cameron Johnson Yeah, do he that did also have a 52-yarder. Yeah. So, I mean, he's – a college puncher it's fine <laughs> it was it was mostly a wash yeah. in terms of the special teams game but i think ohio state leaned on them there enough at the end and finally let the reins loose offensively in the fourth quarter and just let their guys do their thing and that was ultimately the story of the game that Dwayne Haskins and the wide receiver core just stepped up once again and they won the Penn State game last week and they really took over in the second half this week. Not even that. They were on all game, but they really kicked it up to another level uh, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I think that that's really the the gist of this game is that Indiana likes to make games pretty ugly. Ohio State certainly let them, <laughs> I, I think. Penalties still weren't great. Nine for 82 yards. They they just kept doing it, it felt like. And that's that feels like a, a problem that probably needs addressed a little bit ohio state's post game win probability here from bill Connolly's uh five factor box scores was 98 percent. so i mean that's that's pretty good i i think that this is i mean we knew it was going to be a pretty gross game it still feels bad when it happens you know <laughs> when you get indiana it's still like not a super pleasant experience but it's a win uh you know a win is a win and like that's really what it is is that Ohio State just has to keep surviving this schedule to to get to the Michigan game to get to the conference championship game against um I don't know I don't know what West team it'll be because they all stink and then hopefully the the playoff and maybe by then they'll they'll have figured out that they have some some issues to address let's talk about the rest of college football some some really interesting games this this past week um i know you said on twitter that you thought it might be uh a week where some some big teams kind of go down and i don't think it was a full-on chaos blood week but it was it was a messy one <laughs> yeah it was pretty nasty yeah, this week. yeah there was some there was some weirdness um just looking through bill Connolly's uh, top 25 s p rankings alabama and clemson and georgia all just crushed conference opponents uh none of their teams that they played were very good but clemson finally looked competent yeah. and very they did not lose very to Wake good. Forest as I predicted yeah I, I think they won that game what was it 63 to 3 is that right yeah 63 I think to it three. finished uh, it was 63 I thought it was 70 to 3 no, but either way no, they let off I the saw gas. that Hunter Renfro threw a touchdown pass at the end of the game I was like <laughs> all right Dabo like chill bro yeah yeah that's yeah that was a mess that game was a mess I, I feel bad for Wake Forest there first the of the first big upset looking down the the top 25 Florida beat LSU I'm not super surprised by that because Florida's defense is really good and I think their offense is just going to keep getting better under Dan Mullen um I like Dan Mullen a lot I think he's going to do really impressive things there not a great day for Joe Burrow through his first interception of the season and then through a second one on back-to-back possessions the first one was a pick six the second one was kind of a just a desperation fourth down play 
but um, kind of a bummer that it won't be undefeated LSU against undefeated Georgia in um, in Tiger Stadium, which is a, a fantastic place to watch a football game. But SEC is still pretty weird. Seems like there's a lot of parity there uh, outside of Alabama and Georgia. So I'm I'm pretty interested in what that race will turn out like. It's sticking in the SEC. Like we think we're complaining this week and overall this season. Imagine being an Auburn fan no after thanks. that win over Washington to start the season. Auburn looks like shit. It's like, well, we're going to win good. the national championship. That... Oh god. <laughs> that at least like at least we know Ohio State's offense can drop like a smooth 60 on somebody if they really need to and just throw the ball. Auburn looks rough, man. Jared Stidham was was the talk of of quarterbacking at the end of the year and to start this season and talking about him like a pro prospect, Heisman candidate. And Auburn's offense is just absolutely dreadful. Yeah, it's bad. It's it's really bad. The uh, the Notre Dame Virginia Tech game went about how I, I thought it would. Really not a ton to talk about with that game. Dexter Williams is really good. He had a 97-yard run. I think Ian Book, I'm, I'm pretty sold on Ian Book. He, he looks very good. That offense looks really good with a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field. I think my only thing on this game is that the, the inter-Sandman entrance gets me every single time. It's just, it's so good. Justifiably great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very good. Red Red River shootout was super fun. Uh, didn't look Talk about it, baby. <laughs> it didn't look like it was going to be for a long time there because it was like 45-24 uh, with, I think, like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then Oklahoma just exploded, came all the way back, tied it at 45, and then Dicker, the kicker, drives a stake into their heart <laughs> with a 40-yard field goal for the win. I think that was the most fun game of the day. I had a ton of fun watching that comeback. It was just, it was very, very funny. <laughs> yeah, that may have been one of the most fun games of the season so far, and it's very interesting to hear commentators talk about Texas in relation to what Ohio State was under JT Barrett because Sam Ellinger got 19 carries, three touchdowns. He also threw for 314 yards. It was a very good game. Obviously, surprised. And going back to the Auburn thing, like we kind of bitch and complain about the offense a little bit. We definitely complain about the defense. Oklahoma's defense <sighs> is just like you want to talk about wasting away like wasting they might have back-to-back heisman quarterbacks and absolutely nothing to show for it man mike stoops and like i i can appreciate and respect and understand the tough position that lincoln riley is in being given that job and bob stoops kind of just you know placing that crown on his head and probably what was an unspoken thing of like Hey, the job is yours. Also, like, don't be an asshole and fire my brother. Like, do me a solid don't and don't fire, fire my, my big brother. dumb brother. <laughs> you figure Lincoln Riley just wants to send him a text, like, "Yo, I come on, like, man. This, like, like, you're making I gotta this do really hard here. on me." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, until that defense gets fixed, especially in that type of conference where, like, even Oklahoma State right now looks super off kilter, but they can go off for fifty points or 40 points. There's a, a number of teams in that conference that can just score. And OU is probably going to have to score 48, 50 a game to feel comfortable about winning every single game in that conference. And if they go back to the Big 12 title, they're going to have to play Texas. They'll have to play a TCU and teams that can put points on the board. 
And when you have a quarterback go 19 of 26 for 304 and four touchdowns and you lose, and you also run for 222 yards, like, woof, man, just get a couple stops. That's it. And OU's defense wasn't even – like, they don't even put up a fight. And they they mentioned that stat on the broadcast. They were like, teams have scored 100% of the time in the red zone (laughs) against Oklahoma. And when you have – that's another thing. We talked about talent and coaching. Oklahoma doesn't recruit defensively like at an elite elite level, but they're pretty good. Yeah, they have like actual football players there. <laughs> For the fact that they just can't get a stop in the red zone, I don't buy that that's on the players. Like these guys are talented and know how to play football. That is on coaching and for the last 2 years, Oklahoma probably cost themselves a national championship with that defense last year and now they are one win away from not being in the playoff and just having to like go to the Cotton Bowl or or something with that offense. Yeah, it was um it was not a great week for the Big Twelve in general. West Virginia entertained the idea of losing to Kansas <laughs> for a little while. Uh, Will Greer had three interceptions. Oklahoma State, like you mentioned, got beat by Iowa State. I actually I turned that game off because Iowa State was up by a couple scores like pretty late in the fourth quarter. Um, and I, I just assumed that it was gonna, you know, I, or that Oklahoma State was gonna hold on to win. And then I checked my my ESPN app a little later, and I was like, "What the hell, Iowa State?" What? <laughs> it was it was a very surprising experience for me. Um, speaking of good teams that entertained the thought of losing to bad teams, Washington 31, UCLA 24. What the hell happened there? <laughs> Uh, there was a couple games yeah. last night that were Texas A&M Kentucky was really that was, a very that was ugly. That was like a 1990s <laughs> Big Ten game. That was one that like Brent Musburger should have been on the call for that one. Stanford it looks like they're very much not good. Yeah, Oregon's probably kicking themselves for losing that game. Yeah, dude, I watched Syracuse and Pitt, <laughs> and that was my low key outside of Oklahoma Texas. That was the game of the day for me. That game went overtime. There was a couple of really violent running back plays in that game, yep. which I love. Yep. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that game. I also watched a little bit of Illinois Rutgers. Chris Ooh. Ash, baby, come come on home, Chris <laughs> Ash. Come on home, baby. Yeah, I think my only thought on the Kentucky-Texas A&M game is that Kentucky's defense is real good. I, that, that was kind of confirmed, even though they didn't win. Mark Stoops, man. Benny Snell, 13 carries, 60 yards. Terry Wilson, 14 carries, 4 yards. Hey, Mark Stoops, man, come on. <laughs> don't don't be doing that shit, man. You could, you could hand the ball off to Benny Snell, I think, just about every play, and it would be better than, than what their offense did. Yeah, Stanford got smacked by Utah, which is weird because Utah's offense is not good, and they scored 40 points. Michigan just kind of... Just kind of bludgeoned Maryland. It wasn't super close ever. Wisconsin did the same thing to Nebraska. Nebraska actually kept this one fairly close. Adrian Martinez had a pretty decent game. I think he's going to be really good. J.D. Spielman continued to be very good. Miami came all the way back against Florida State and and broke their hearts. Uh, Miami's not very good this year. But um, the ACC, I'm not sure if they're going to get a ton of resistance in the ACC. I think it might be up to... Might be up to NC State to save us from Clemson. Northwestern upset Michigan State. Northwestern always has one of those saved up. They're like the pit of the Big Ten. 
where they're just kind of loading up to, to get somebody. And I'm not sure if Michigan State can really even be considered somebody this year because I think they kind of stink. But that one was still, I mean, it was technically a football game. Colorado is 5-0, and and they, they beat Arizona State. They stopped Herm. LaVisca Chenault. Did you see LaVisca Chenault's stat line? For this game four tds baby <laughs> scored all the points Holy for colorado shit. 13 receptions 127 yards two touchdowns in the air five carries 13 yards two touchdowns on the ground he is a freak he's amazing i love him very much i think that's about it from the top 25 nc state survived against boston college i don't think nc state's super good that's about it. It was it was a pretty good week. It was not quite a blood week. I think we might get a blood week in in week seven, which we'll preview in the Minnesota preview podcast, and um, it, it should be it should be a fun week seven. But week six was was pretty good. We we got some anger out. Um, we yelled at Greg Schiano and Urban Meyer. Bunch of top twenty five teams lost. That's always fun. Yeah, and every week that Ohio State continues to stay in the race is a positive one yep. because. Like we see in college football, teams will go down at any second, and you just got to be standing by the end of after conference championship week. And as of right now, Ohio State's 6-0, and and the game against Minnesota I think will be another, not a test in terms of like playing a good team, but just another week of them to, to work on things and to get something positive out of both the offense and the defense and to continue to improve as they march toward, you know, the the middle to last portion of the season where the games are all going to get much tougher, the weather gets worse, and there's just a lot more pressure and things are on the line. So it should be a lot of fun, and we'll talk about the Minnesota game and much more going on in college football in our preview episode for that here in a couple days. That is pretty much it for this show, though. Like Patrick said, we got everything out of the way got our frustrations out talked about Dwayne Haskins and everything in between if you want to let us know what you think about the show send us a tweet on Twitter you can send a tweet anywhere else but follow us at Holy Land Pod Patrick is Patrick underscore Mayhorn I am at Dubsco and as a site we are at Land Grant 33 also be sure to follow the site LandGrantHolyLand.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and visit us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand. So until our next episode, preview of the Minnesota game, we want to thank you guys for listening, taking an hour out of your day, which I can't believe anybody would do. But we appreciate it, and thank you. We'll be back next time, and this is the Hangout in the Holy Land.